0: Hey, I'm Pastor Mike, and I put together this chart um, because I think the case can be made that different metaphysical perspectives predispose people to different approaches to theology. Uh, I know the chart is a little bit busy, uh, but I think if I go through it slowly, it will will make sense and we can figure out what I'm talking about here. All right, so if we look at the different paradigms regarding the relationship between God and the world. We have pantheism where God and the world are one. So you could say, we are God, the world is God or God is the world and so on, they're inseparable. We have panentheism where the world is a part of God but God is greater than the world. Uh, Then we have classical theism where God and the world are separate. So God created the world but created it as something apart from himself And by way of contrast, we have naturalism, which keeps the world but gets rid of God. So essentially the world just developed on its own and it wasn't created. It's just, the world is all there is, the natural world. And by world here, we don't mean the planet, we mean all created reality, right? Okay, now, if we look at classical theism, we kind of zero in on that even though there's a separation between God and the world, the world itself is viewed in different ways. So the world can be made of different things or it can be made of just one thing. Now, traditionally we start with Platonism where the world is this material reality that we see around us, but this material reality is sort of controlled by by some kind of immaterial reality And Plato back back in his day called the world of the forms. Um, and then it, it kind of developed over time. But um, the idea here is that there's some sort of supernatural element to reality that kind of controls the, the natural side of reality. Uh, and then we have Aristotelianism, which is this kind of builds on that idea, but instead of seeing the supernatural element as something somewhere else that's apart from the world, it, it views it as actually being part of the, the elements in the world themselves, a so part of matter itself. So like, uh, you know, if you take an object, uh, when we touch it, when we look at it, our senses can interact with what's material, but inside of it, there's something immaterial or supernatural or however you wanna call it, something spiritual that actually keeps everything together and, and gives it its its identity, its sense, its purpose or whatever. So so the, the supernatural component is still there, but is, is part of the material, it's, it's within it, it's it's, it's its substance or its essence. Okay, now we move forward in history. So as far as Christianity is concerned, Platonism and Neoplatonism affected probably the first thousand years. Then we have uh, Aristotelianism come on the scene through people like Aquinas later on, and it affected probably the next thousand years of Christian history. Once we get to the 1500s, 1600s, we have the Enlightenment we have Cartesianism here and, and all the subsequent philosophers that came after him. So Descartes, he kind of moved away from this dualistic view of the world as a whole uh, and started seeing the world as more or less natural or material. So Descartes view of, of reality was somewhat similar to modern day naturalists or yeah, atheistic scientists, for example except for the mind. He felt that the human mind um, w- was something that could not be explained by mechanistic material processes. So the mind had to be separate uh, from, from the body, but the, everything else was, was material. So he, he, he kind of held onto this dualism only in terms of the mind, uh, but then uh, everything else he viewed fairly similarly to the way people see it today. Um, and then uh, besides these possibilities, there's also another possibility that I, I put a question mark there because I don't, I don't even know if there is a, a name for it, really. But it's the idea that the world isn't composed of two different elements at all. The world really is just made of matter, and, and it's a physical thing the way naturalism sees it. But God does exist. So this is still part of the, the theistic paradigm because there is a god and there is a world but the world is the way atheists view it where it's just one it's just made of material stuff it doesn't have either uh, immaterial an immaterial element like the Platonists sea or like a s- immaterial substance like the aristotelians or even immaterial minds the way Descartes saw it uh, it's just it's just purely natural from beginning to end so this is one other possible view here that um, I'm not even sure if it has a name because um, uh, it it hasn't been really explored much because essentially in history, people kind of jump from here all the way to the naturalistic paradigm and and didn't really explore this possibility as much. Okay, so those are some of the the different views of the world. Now, when it comes to God, there's different approaches to how people view God as well. Um, And for the majority of history, people, all these different philosophical paradigms view God as, as timeless. Now, there the idea is a lot more elaborate than just timelessness, because you know there's the there's in classical theism, there's a lot of other attributes to God that kind of work together logically as a whole. But I'm focusing on this timeless element because it denotes this idea that God is in, in kind of a separate fear of existence and he is very different from us to the point where he's not really in we're not really in a position to, to kind of view God in a way that's similar to ourselves. So we can uh, communicate with God or try to understand God. God is sort of a, a different kind of entity. However, within this paradigm where God was timeless, and, and so we have these two possibilities, God is timeless here, and this affects the majority of these views. And then we have the other possibility that God is temporal. but by temporal, we don't mean he has a beginning and an end. What we mean is that he actually experiences time, but he experiences it eternally. So um, God has has no beginning and has no end, but it's still a succession of, of, of succession of events the way we experience time, as opposed to being timeless where the past and the present and the future kind of collide into the eternal present, so to speak, and it's all one. So these two views uh, are two different conceptions of how, you know, the, the metaphysics of God, so to speak, and and how how God um, relates to creation. Okay, so once once we talked about how the world is viewed and how God is viewed, this affects how people understand knowledge. So for much of history, the idea was that the timeless God imprints knowledge. On the human soul, so humanity is made of this immaterial component. We could call it the soul, or however, the spirit. And uh, knowledge comes from from this timeless God, but is imprinted, so it's pre-programmed into the soul in, in the way it is created. So one way to think of it is like a computer that, that, when you know, when you nowadays when you buy a laptop, it comes pre-packaged with an operating system. So you don't just get the hardware and then you have to figure out how to use it yourself and to program it yourself and, and develop the software. Uh, a lot of stuff is put in for you. So when you open your computer for the, for the first time, it has all the stuff in there. You know, if you want to start typing something, it has a word processor. If you want to get on the Internet, it has a browser set up. All this software is pre-programmed in so you could have something to to begin with and then do everything else you want to do. Now, this idea is kind of similar to how people viewed human knowledge. So they believe that uh, the human soul is created with this uh, sort of operating system that allows us to then kind of, you know, start from somewhere and build up the rest of our knowledge as we go about our lives and grow up and, you know, uh, in fact, sometimes it was even viewed as a type of recollection so as as a child grew up he was sort of tapping into knowledge he already had pre-programmed into him so as he was discovering the world he was associating for example he would see a tree and and that tree was associated with the form of the tree that he had pre-programmed into his brain and that's how knowledge worked and that's how people came to understand different things now This is the case for Platonism, Aristotelianism, and even for Descartes uh, at the beginning of this uh, sort of philosophical revolution after the Enlightenment. But very soon after Descartes, when we come to Kant, there was a shift, a major shift here, because this idea of pre-programmed knowledge kind of fell apart. And I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about why it fell apart, but from this point on, for the next several centuries, uh this idea was that the idea was that essentially human beings are not born with this sort of pre-programmed knowledge we develop our knowledge socially so like you know a child is born and they're educated by their parents and by their society and by all the social structures so whatever they're getting is is essentially just knowledge that they're getting from everybody around them they're not getting knowledge that is pre-programmed into their brain, so to speak, or their mind or their soul by some eternal entity, like, like, like a divinity here, the way people used to think in the past. Uh, And that kind of shifted people's view of knowledge because whereas before you, you were able to trust human knowledge because it came directly from God. It was pre-programmed into you. So you could say, Hey, I've, I've done all this philosophical, um, analysis and i believe you know i'm I'm coming to the right conclusions because i'm essentially just trying to work out things that got pre-programmed into my brain whereas after the enlightenment that whole thing fell apart because there wasn't anything pre-programmed and god was still timeless but he was essentially what that meant is that god was inaccessible because we as we were developing our knowledge socially you know we're learning things from each other there was no way for us to learn anything about God because we had no access to God. We had no way to use our senses to, to try to figure out anything about God and, and, and so on. Um, now, this view kind of, um, inf- this, this is the, the approach people have taken in much of modern theology, while this, all these other views still exist. So we still have people that follow the Platonistic, the Aristotelian or the Cartesian, all these other views, they're still there, but a lot of modern theology and philosophy has been built on this view. And eventually, of course, we we get to people just abandoning God out of the picture altogether, and we end up with naturalism. And in naturalism, um, knowledge is, is viewed in the same way. It's socially constructed. There is no divine imprint. So whatever we know is stuff we know through our own research, through our own Uh, accumulation of knowledge. Okay. Now in this last view that I'm describing here, this other possibility where the world is viewed not as a a dualism of two different elements, a supernatural and natural element, whether any one of these three possibilities here, the world is viewed similar to the way naturalists view the world. Knowledge as well works in a similar way. It's still, knowledge is still socially constructed. Okay, so what happens as a result of this? In any of these previous paradigms here, like in Platonism and Aristotelianism, and even the beginning of, of the Enlightenment period, uh, theology can be based on multiple factors because, again, we're able to trust our our own knowledge developing processes because they were imprinted into our minds. So, for example. Uh, much of early christian history is based on philosophy scripture tradition all these things working together because people believed their ability to reason themselves to truth uh, if they did it within the platonic era they did it by by just pure reason if you move over to the Aristotelianism, The Aristotelian influence on on Christianity is that it it introduced the idea of natural theology because now, if the metaphysical components or the spiritual components were within the objects, the created objects themselves, then by studying creation, people could learn about their metaphysical core. So, we have Aquinas and, and, and many after him, many philosophers after him, developing this idea of natural theology, which is essentially that. God imprinted knowledge, not only on the human psyche, but even within nature itself. So as we study nature, we're able to learn more about the under underlying uh, immaterial essence of nature, as well as to learn about, about God and and, and uh, get a sense of what God is like as well. Um, and, and this kind of coincided with scripture because, you know, the Bible calls... We, the Bible talks about general revelation. So for example, David says things like, um, <clears throat> the heavens declared the glory of God. And, and Paul talks about how uh, people who did not have the law uh, were still impressed of the truth by the things that were made. So nature was a witness to them about the things of God. And, and you know, Aquinas took these elements from scripture and then developed this, took, took the same elements from philosophy and develop this idea of natural theology. Now, of course, by the time you come to this modern era here, because this concept breaks down, this idea that knowledge can be imprinted on the mind, or it's some some uh, some sort of a program, something that was pre-programmed into the human soul, then this this idea kind of falls apart. That we have access to metaphysics, we have access to to. Uh, spiritual knowledge because at this point the view of god is still this timeless view of god so essentially if god is this otherly being that we have no way to really understand and the mechanism by which some kind of knowledge about the spiritual things can be transferred to us breaks down then we have no way of knowing very much about spiritual things except what we could deduce by various you know some very basic things we can deduce by by our own reasoning process so we we of enter an era of uncertainty so in a lot of modern theology there's a high emphasis placed on uncertainty whereas some of these more traditional theologies uh push for certainty so catholic theology pushes for certainty a lot of conservative protestant theology pushes for certainty in theology whereas some of the more modern theologies push for uncertainty so a good example is the book uh written by peter Enns called the sin of certainty where you know you're actually doing something wrong if you believe you actually if you claim to know a whole lot of stuff about theology. You're you're on the wrong track, but that makes sense within this metaphysical paradigm, where God is somewhat inaccessible to us because the because the very mechanism for knowledge transfer is broken here. However, when we get to this last paradigm, that essentially hasn't been explored much, but it's a logical possibility here. <clears throat> if God is temporal and our our metaphysics and our knowledge, or, uh, knowledge apparatus, so to speak, is exactly the way uh, even atheists and naturalists imagine it. But God does exist, but and yet God is temporal and personal. So he, he's he's not some sort of otherly being, otherworldly being, so to speak, with the, which, which cannot interact with with humanity. Then we can have knowledge. Uh, being given to us directly by God through direct communication. So the paradigm described in scripture where, you know, you have certain people that are selected to be prophets and God comes and speaks to them and communicates to them in various ways. And they sit down and write their, their messages and they, they leave them for, for future generations. Uh, it, It makes more sense. And not just this, but it makes it more, it gives it a higher degree of authority because Um, We don't have all these other processes for knowledge. We cannot trust our our own reasoning process as much because it's just socially constructed. We don't know if our reasoning uh, is capable of getting us anywhere. We cannot trust natural theology because uh, it's just just the natural world. There's no uh, spiritual essence to the world that we can try to understand by studying the natural world or anything like that. So, what we're left with is things that God directly communicates to us through scripture. And this elevates our view of directly inspired messages from God higher than other forms of uh, uh, knowledge that we can acquire by other means. So the Sola Scriptura paradigm or approach to theology makes somebody that comes from this metaphysical perspective is more prone to Sola Scriptura than they are to some of these other views. And some of these other views are more prone to some of these other possibilities. Um, In this paradigm, general revelation as well means something else. So when the Bible talks about God speaking to people through nature, uh, the way those passages are understood is that God is the active agent in the revelation process. So while here uh, in the old paradigm, for example, Aquinas, what, what Aquinas views is that God imprints knowledge into the natural world and we study the natural world, world and, and um, get, get that knowledge back to us, right? Here, God doesn't imprint knowledge in the natural world, but God himself uses the natural world to communicate with people. So, you know, maybe somebody uh, who's, who's, who's not, who hasn't yet made a decision for God or doesn't know God Uh, Maybe they go for a walk in nature, and and at that moment in time, the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart and and points to all the things that were made, and the person says, wow, who made all these things? I wonder if a God exists, and things like that. But God is the active agent in the revelation process, as opposed to nature itself being the means of communication. So even the, the idea of general revelation is different in a paradigm where all the other metaphysical components have shifted. So... Um Because of all these different approaches to metaphysics, uh, it informs or affects the way people view uh, the, the way they approach their theology as well. And, and these things are kind of circular. So uh, if you start with one, you end up with the other and if you end up with the other, it kind of reinforces the the beginning point that you started with. So they the only way you could work with them as is as, as independent models, you know, Here's a model that makes all these assumptions and these are all the logical conclusions. Here's another model that makes another set of assumptions and the conclusions that it reaches and it kind of logically flows together. So again, the the whole point of this is there's different metaphysical paradigms that are logically possible. And these, uh, it's not an absolute thing, but just by their very nature, they're predisposed to different types of theologies or different approaches to theology.